0: The message I believe that our Lord would have us to hear on this first Lord's Day of 2022, I want to turn you to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, and uh, that will be the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Some comments before we read the text in this passage. There was a believing remnant in Israel. Relatively few in comparison, of course, to the whole nation. Matter of fact, Isaiah says if the Lord had not left us a remnant, a very small remnant, there would have been total destruction. The remnants, the believing remnant, the saved in that nation, they were under chastisement. Of course, they were influenced by the unbelieving, and that's always a danger. We are charged, of course, not to be unequally yoked together with those who are unbelievers. There will be influence that would be detrimental in that regard. So they suffered, and yet God gave them promise. He gave them promise, even though they too would go into captivity with the rest of the people. God would bring a remnant back and establish them. Christ must come through that nation. And there were those who were relatively few, but God gives them great promise and brings them to great remembrance. And so we look into Jeremiah chapter 31 and we begin reading at verse 3 and read through verse 12. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For these shall there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him, as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion. And shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their souls shall be as a watered garden. And they shall not sorrow any more at all. But our text, our text, I want to take from verse 3 of Jeremiah 31 as the first message brought this new year. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Memory is a gift of God to us. But memory can be very painful at times, and memory can be very pleasureful at times. It can cause us great disturbance or it can cause us delight. Memory is there. We learn, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ when he tells of the rich man and uh, Lazarus who ate the crumbs from his floor, that he lifted up his eyes in hell, and Abraham says to him, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime didst receive thy good things and Lazarus' evil things. Now he's comforted, thou art tormented. Memory. Sometimes difficult things, sometimes horrendous sins that maybe were committed in youth, in times past, can plague one long into old age. Memory, of course, is important. Here, in Jeremiah chapter 31, in the midst of suffering, there were outward troubles, of course, that disturbed inward peace. And this can tend to cause a forgetfulness of the things that are most blessed. Other memories, other things take precedence. And those things that are most wonderful, cherished, sometimes in the midst of great difficulty, hardships, things faced, trials that are difficult, things that come that we would want not in our course at all so difficult for us. Sometimes in those times, memory can be awakened. Memory can be awakened. I think of the most difficult times in my own ministry. There are times when I was driven most, it seems, to the Word of God. So, this seems to be the case with the believing remnant in Israel. Of a sudden, remembering the unfailing word of God, the God who cannot lie. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I like what Spurgeon had to say. Many things are preserved in the treasure house of memory, but this is the choicest of our jewels. How gracious! How glorious was the appearance of God in Christ Jesus to our soul. God, full of mercy. God, mighty to save. God, the salvation of his people. What a sight is this. Well, if you read, of course, the context further in Jeremiah, in which this remembrance comes, this most cherished remembrance of all, You'll not find it to be in a context of good and plenty and ease. It's in one of sorrow and suffering. It's in a context of chastening for sin. Yet, at this very time, the believing remnant of God's people not only remember their troubles, but they remember The amazing covenant promise of God's sovereign love. And they remember that God's loving kindness, once known, can never be removed from them. It is a never-ending, never-changing love. God's love wounded them. And God's love will heal them. And they shall, to their everlasting joy, remember... That God's love can never be taken away from them. If you look into the 30th chapter, and in verse 17, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. By nature... We can become distracted by many things. We can be distracted by the demands of work, or the pressures of family, or our own troubles, or the troubles of the society in which we live. And it's too often the case that other things can so claim our attention as to cause us to forget, at least in measure, the greatest treasure that could ever be possessed. And often it's God's gracious hand that must afflict us and cause us to again remember where our true treasure lies and where our hearts are to be affixed and that our hands are to be kept to the sacred plow of God's eternal kingdom without looking back. But does this kind of love unchangeable Everlasting. Does it belong to the believing remnant in Israel alone? Or does it extend to all of God's believing people? From the first redeemed soul to the last who shall be gathered before the judgment of God falls upon this unsuspecting world. I would remind you that Jeremiah 31 is the new covenant chapter. And I don't believe anyone can properly understand the Scriptures unless they know the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Unless they discern the distinction between them. Well, you see, Jeremiah does prophesy of that in verses 31 through 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward part before it was put on tables of stone and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You have to understand the different in the nature, the natures of the old covenant and the new covenant. And I would remind you that as the old covenant was outward, as it regarded natural Israel, all of the things you see in Israel of old, even the giving of the law on stones, and the temple and the tabernacle, as we learn in the book of Hebrews, that were outward buildings. Things were external, outward, in Old Covenant Israel. New Covenant Israel is different in that it is spiritual in nature. The New Covenant is spiritual. It regards, then, the Israel of God, the new creation that would be not simply among the Jews, but the new creation that would extend to all the families of the earth. Just as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, when he says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus there is neither circumcision, Jew, nor uncircumcision, Gentile, but a new creature, A new creation. He says, those that really comprehend and know this, upon them be peace. This is the Israel of God. This is the eternal nation. This nation is not like the outward one was. The covenant is not according to the one God made at Sinai with Israel. And at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ did away with the old covenant for his people and established the new covenant. You remember, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. New covenant Israel, the spiritual children of Abraham, are brought from all the ends of the earth. Paul writes concerning those who are in this promise in Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This glorious promise belongs to all of God's elect redeemed all who are redeemed from sin and unto God, all who have been drawn by God and taught by God and who come to Christ and yield heart and life to Him and to Him alone. This promise belongs to all of them. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. Dear, regenerate, believing soul, you who know the new birth and know the Son of God who was made known to you therein and the gloriousness of eternal redemption through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This promise is as much yours as it was Jeremiah's. As much enforced now as when it was first made known. So then let us consider first that Jehovah appeared of old Jehovah, God, appeared of old. And Jehovah is the God of salvation. And so, those to whom he appeared have promises that belong to all of the children of faith, including this glorious one. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Those appearings weren't physical. They weren't to eyes of flesh. Always in Israel, there was a remnant according to the election of grace. Still is. God's still saving Jews. But they become part of the one true Israel of God made up of Jew and Gentile in Christ. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in Romans 11, 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. To this remnant, like the 7,000 in the days of Elijah, when you read of Elijah, he thought he was the only one left. I'm the only prophet, I'm the only one left. All else have apostatized except me. And God says to him, no, no. I've reserved to myself 7,000 in Israel who've not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. To this remnant, like those 7,000 in the days of Elijah, God would add a vast number from all the peoples of the earth, from every kindred and tribe and people on the face of the earth. A people who, though they be not ethically of Israel, yet they are spiritually of Israel and they are the true children of Abraham. This was the promise that was given to Abram when called out of Ur of the Chaldees, that in these shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That promise is reiterated after Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac as a sacrifice at the command of God. But we know that God tried his faith and prevented that from taking place and offered a sacrifice in his stead. Yet God says to him, in thy seed, in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And of course, we learn there was a reason that God said, In thy seed, not in thy seeds. The singularity of seed, the Apostle Paul interprets for us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. That seed of Abraham is Christ, who had come through him. The true Israel. It's interesting, when you read in Scripture of Christ, he is the true prince that has power with God the Father. Israel. He is so called Israel in Isaiah 49, verse 3, prophetically. Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And in him who is the true prince, in him who is the prince of peace, God gave and God would call a people from every nation and would make up the eternal Zion of God. In that very same chapter in Isaiah 49, it's a little thing, it's a small thing, that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give thee to be a light unto the ends of the earth, The Gentiles shall come to thy light. As later Isaiah would declare. It is God. Who by giving a new and heavenly birth. Those in Israel. When they were born to a mother and a father in Israel. They were automatically under the old covenant. But it is only those who are born from above. Regenerate. Born again. Again. With the wondrous new birth that make up the eternal Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's why John Newton could draw from Psalm 87, verse 5, speaking of being born in Zion. That understood spiritually means that all those who are in Christ, who have been begotten of God, are part of the eternal Zion of God. Whenever promise was given to the believing remnant of old, it's just as much given to all who believe as to those who were first receptive of it. This great company that shall be saved by God's grace will comprise an innumerable multitude from all nations and fulfill the eternal or the old covenant or the old promise that becomes new to Abraham. And God said, look now toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able. God says, this is the way your seed's going to be, uncountable. Uncountable. We get into the book of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. John the Apostle on the isle of Patmos I beheld in Lo a great multitude which no man could number of all kindreds and tribes and tongues and people stood before the throne and before the Lamb. The promise applies not only to the whole Israel of God It applies to every individual as personal, as if God were speaking directly to them. To everyone who is saved by God's wondrous grace and a part of his holy nation, then God can speak individually to each one. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Did God justify Abraham through faith alone? Was Abraham justified through faith only? Did he believe what could only be fulfilled and come through Christ, the promised seed to him? fulfilling by the cross what God would promise of old, and did so out of an everlasting love. Abraham believed God, the scripture says, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Does not God justify every believing sinner who looked toward heaven's God To whom he appears spiritually in the person of the Son of God. The very revelation of God. Who in some way says to that soul, I love you, I gave myself for you, I give myself to you. And calls to come unto him were justified in the very same way Abraham was, as in Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, know ye that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, You find that in Galatians chapter 3, and verses 6 through 9. These are the children of promise, who are promised a true blessedness. The promise given by God who cannot lie. The promise that was given of old. The promise that was given to Abraham that can only be fulfilled in Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians one twenty, In whom all the promises of God are yea and amen. Then, if we understand that this belongs to us who are in Christ, cannot every one of us who have been drawn by God's loving kindness, who see God as He can only be seen, By faith in our incarnate Lord, cannot we say also, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me? The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. What an awakening came to our poor souls. My sins have found me out, sins against the God who created me. Sins against the God who is holy, infinitely, only holy. And I'm lost, undone. Judgment awaits my wretched soul. What an awakening when God makes known to us something of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And yet if the full depth of sin were made known to us, we couldn't stand it. We know little, too little about what Sin is all about, that separates from the living God and defiles and exposes to a judgment that shall come. How could I escape the damnation of hell? Then did you not hear, and hear with your soul's hearing, and see with your mind's eye? That in Jesus of Nazareth, in the words, the works, then in the death of the cross and the resurrection from the dead, that God was in Christ, doing for you what you could never have done for yourself. Those nails were there for you. Those nails hammered through feet and hands were nailed you. His blood flowed to wash away your sins. His outstretched arms were opened. His voice cried, come, it is finished. Look unto me and be you saved. It was not the greatest day of your life. I mean the greatest day of your life who have been saved indeed by God's grace was not the greatest day in your life when the gospel was heard and in it appeared unto you the Lord of glory and his cross and in some way you could say he loved me He loved me even as a wretched fallen sinner. And He gave Himself for me. He bore my sins in His own body on the tree. He bore all of the wrath of God against my sins. Now you wanted to be His. Only His. His forever. I'm reminded. Of a hymn we sometimes sing. Who love thee most. At thy dear cross. Will truest Lord abide. Make thou that cross our only hope. O Jesus crucified. Yes the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. What a glorious truth. What a promise given. The God-given truth that assures of a never-ending love. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. This is no fickle man that speaks here. This is no fickle man that gives a promise that he cannot in any way whatsoever fulfill. This is the everlasting God who speaks, whose love is exactly as he is, sovereign, unchangeable, eternal. He who through the apostle calls upon us to let your yea be nay, In other words, when you say something, let it be true. He who says, let your yea be nay, surely calls upon us to believe his yea. To know beyond entertaining any doubt whatsoever that his love can never be removed from us, never be diminished, never end. It is the same love with which the Father loves the Son. I saw that when I was a young preacher. I saw that when studying, reading in the 17th chapter, the great high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he prayed, Thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And it overwhelmed my soul. To think that the same love with which the Father loves His Son is the very same love with which He loves those whom He chose in His Son and who come to believe on Him and to know Him. And He, the Son, loves us with the same unchangeable, immovable love as does the Father. Because he is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. It was sin, That horrendous thing that separates from God. It was sin that removed his face from us. And it's sin removed that causes his gracious countenance to smile upon us. Sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love behind it all. Do we not love the fifth chapter of Romans? That the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And how is that love shed abroad? And how does it flood our souls? When we behold in truth Jesus Christ crucified. God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can we ever get over that? That we who deserve nothing but eternal punishment, that the Lord took our punishment? That He bore our sins? That with His own blood, in His death, he redeems us. And now, and now, who can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? His love loved us before time began. His love will love us when time is no more. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. What words. What glorious promise. What truth supreme the Lord is giving us. Yea. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Have those who professed at one time to love you may be pledged their loyalty to you, may be covenanted with you to be with you till death is part. Have there been those among you who found so-called loyalty and friendship to desert you on a whim? In Jeremiah chapter 30, by the way, verse 14, all thy lovers have forgotten thee, They seek thee not. Yet there is one whose love matters most of all. There is one whose love is greater than all. Whose word is more sure than the ordinances of the heavens. Whose word is more sure than the sun arising in the morning. Whose word is more sure than the heavens... In their established courses and assures you, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He who put the stars in their place, he who governs the motions of the heavens, would have you look to them as a standing testimony that his love is eternal and unchangeable because his word is unchangeable and it is his word that declares I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Matter of fact, you find that in Jeremiah 31. We won't look there. Verses 35 through 37. The very same truth. God says, look to these ordinances. You'll know I keep my promise." in psalm 119 god says look to these ordinances in the heavens and he says forever o lord thy word is settled in heaven the lord jesus christ says heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away you might be forsaken by others they might pledge their loyalty declare that they are your friends And very easily become offended and forsake you. But there's one who assures you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that a glorious promise? His love is not set upon you because you're worthy of it. But only because he chose to love you. And to love you with an everlasting love. I might hear someone say, You don't know how wretched I am. I can come back to you, you don't know how wretched I am. You can say, Well, I fight, battle pained with the thought of sins past, I'd worry about you if you didn't sometime. He said, I've not been what I ought to be. Not to this day. There have been times even when I denied the Lord with my actions and failed to speak up when I should for Him and His glory. Yet nevertheless, What does he say to you? Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. His love cannot be removed from you. Not because you're worthy of it. You're not. You're a sinner. Defiled. Defiled. in need of his grace. And what a wondrous, glorious reality when that grace is made known to you in Christ and you're drawn by this love to trust him who came into this world to save sinners. No wonder that dear woman in Luke chapter 7 we read about earlier this morning would disrupt that meeting in the Pharisee's house and come in that place and and take the tresses of her hair down and with oil over the feet of the Savior anoint them. How many would give Christ even a small amount of themselves or their time? But those who are redeemed and they know it. And those who know the wondrousness of love. They want him to have their all. Not because you're worthy. But worthy is the lamb that was slain. John writes in 1 John 4.10 And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. The Christ has, how does it go? And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that, let's look there. 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. This aging process in me gets annoying every once in a while. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who loves God in truth? Who loves him in truth? Those who embrace his love. Those who recognize his love. Those who realize that he didn't love them because they loved him. We didn't love him. We hated him by nature. We wanted our way, not his We wanted to do our will, not his. And yet he loved us. Not because of us, in spite of us. And what kind of love? I've loved thee with an everlasting love. What a glorious thing we hear. What glorious truth that can never be rescinded so john says in first john four nineteen, we love him one reason we love him because he first loved us i hear someone say well there are times when my heart seems to grow so old and cold cold is what i meant <laughs> there are times when like this hymn sometimes we sing Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. There are times when the heart seems to grow cold. There are times when too much of the world is let in. And takes my attention from the things that ought to take my attention. When I fail to love him as I ought to. Well, I would have a great deal more concern for you if you never felt that way. Don't believe your feelings. Don't believe your failings. Don't believe your self-condemnations. Believe God. God. Believe him who assures you with the infallible and unchangeable truth. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Then you come to realize that wondrous love, the love that becomes the magnet that removes all resistance with loving kindness have I drawn thee. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. I realize there are very few that will be alert and will comprehend these things. The greatest things there are to the child of God. But how glorious. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. What is the conquering force behind this drawing? What is it? God, omnipotent, almighty, does not draw us to himself with bands of steel. He does not draw us with threats or curses of his law. He draws us with bands of love to borrow the words of the prophet Hosea. With bands of love. He doesn't draw us with the thunder of Sinai. You cannot approach there, that will drive you away. You come because of the love of Calvary. You come because of the love that melts your cold heart. You come because of the love that removes every resistance and stretches forth the scarred hands and says to you, Come, I will not cast you away. It was not the wrath of God, nor the fear of hell. Though we may have at first indeed have felt that, necessarily. But those two things put together. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. That's what drew us. Conquering, after that the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared to us. Then we laid down the weapons of our resistance. Our enmity against God was then turned to love for him. And what a wondrous day that was. What a glorious day. And is it God's purpose to bring us to holiness? To transform us from what we were in this world to living the life that God declares is holy and different? Yes, it was God's purpose to bring us to holiness. More and more to be weaned from the world. And to be consecrated to Him, belonging to Him alone. Indeed it is. For we are destined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's not a work that takes place instantaneously in the day of judgment. It's in process now. For those who belong to Christ. And what is behind all of our necessary trials? The hard things we face. The great disappointments we have. The chastenings that come. What's behind it? If the Lord will not allow you to go on in sin in a course that will be to your detriment, but corrects and chastens what is behind it. I don't want to be let go on in a course that's detrimental to myself or particularly to the Lord's glory to you. But there are times when the Lord will let us see a little bit of what we are still by nature. But he doesn't allow us to stay there. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And blessed for us, when we know this, when we submit to him, and we accept as from a loving Father, that he is working all things toward our eternal good. For in this, we can have peace in the midst of our trouble. Wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be year in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We can have peace in the midst of trouble. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus promised in him we would have, though we shall surely have tribulation, trouble in the world. Just one more thing. The love that drew us is the love that draws us. When this love is embraced, when it's embraced in truth, when we realize it in our trials as well as in our blessings, when Christ, who is God's love gift, is ever before us, and that this belongs to us to the ages of the ages. How could it not conquer us day by day? Day by day. This will lead us to day by day take our cross of self-denial to follow Him who took His cross and who by it says to us yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I never want to get away from that, do you? Day by day, the cross. Day by day, every day, the consideration of what God has done for our souls in his Son. Day by day. Hearing his word. Yea, I've loved thee. With an everlasting love.